Welcome to Casa de Confidence, a podcast for you. You'll hear some incredible women and some awesome cool dudes going confidently in the direction of their dreams and living in the purpose of their heart. You're our host, Julie DeLuca Collins, and you are our sidekick, hashtag handsome hot husband, that again, and the producer of the show, that I am. I am an author, speaker, coach, dreamer, and most of all, we help people go in the direction of their dreams and support them on their purpose. So pull up a chair, grab a drink, and make yourself at home because our casa is your casa. Welcome, my friend, Emma Weaver, to the show, Casa de Confidence and the Confident You Radio Show. It honored to have you. I had so much fun speaking to you the first time that we met. I wanted to bring you to the listeners and the audience on Facebook and share a little bit about you. By the way, you are the founder of Mental Health and Mental Wealth International, an organization. Um, wait, I lost my train of thought. Ment- an organization supporting businesses to achieve better mental health and well-being within the workplace. Emma has over 23 years experience in working in mental health and is the and the well-being sector supporting adults and with well-being working across various sectors. You are a TEDx speaker also and a curator. So this intrigues me because as you know, I'm coming up with my TEDx talk. So I can't wait to talk to you. Welcome. Oh my gosh, I'm absolutely delighted to be here. Um, yeah, gosh, that's a long list when you read it out like that. So, um, and I didn't read all of it because I want to jump into the conversation. So much to dissect. Um, <laughs> Emma, fun. how did you get started in this path? Because people look at you. You've been on TEDx stages a couple times. You organize now. You're doing some incredible work for uh, businesses on behalf of curating services for mental health, um, and which is so needed, but that's not where you started. What's your starting point? Oh, gosh. So my starting point is, um, I suppose I'm from Ireland. I come from a family. There's six children. I'm the second. And, um, you know, pretty typical Irish childhood. We lived in the country. Nothing really big to say. I became a mum very young, which completely changed the path that I thought that I was going to be on. And it was there that I learned grit and resilience Mm. and how life can have different changes and challenges. And then I went back into education. So I took a year out and went back into education. And one of my placements um, was in a, a day centre for supporting people who had mental health issues to remain independent in the community. Mm-hmm. And um, i never forget on the first day, I was 19. And on the first day when I walked into the doors, I realised that I knew some of the people in the room. And yet wow. I never knew that they had mental health issues that they needed this extra support and honest to goodness the profoundness of that and the understanding that people in every community every family everywhere can and do and are impacted by mental health issues however you can live an independent life with the right support 
mm-hmm. around you to support you with your mental health and well-being. And just from that moment on, I realized this is what this is what I need to be doing. So I um I followed that path and um got myself educated, which was really important. And it's only in later years that I now recognize how important that that was. And um, I actually graduated on September the 11th, 2001. Mm-hmm. That's the day I graduated, which is such a pioneer wow. day when you think about yeah. it. Yeah. And yeah, that's the day I graduated. And then um, I my journey then into working with people um, in the mental health sector just grew from there. And as you said, to all different genres, I kind of worked my way up. I ended up managing services. I then was able to shape services. I was able to go to local government and help put policies in place. So I got a lot of experience in <laughs> that role and just loved it. Really, yeah. um, I seem to have a flair or the ability if I see there's a gap somewhere or something <laughs> that I like to try and do something about it try and fill it well I I love that you are a can do will do and does yeah. kind of woman I think that for many individuals that are suffering from mental health uh, issues and we are so many in crisis right yes. I'd love for you to unpack a little bit for us what is mental health first aid? Because I think that we need to frame that conversation first. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit more about that. So, and how that came about then was two and a half years ago, I left my my job, my secure job, and um, went out of my own and founded Mental Wealth International. And again, that was based on me recognizing an unmet need. And that unmet need, I believe, is in workplaces or gyms mm-hmm. or community groups. Mm-hmm. And um, throughout all my years of managing all different teams, obviously, I would have had to oversee training and, and different things to make sure my team were skilled and qualified and competent to do. And one of the things was mental health first aid. And it's an accreditation. It's a qualification. It's world known um, where you qualify as a mental health first aider to allow you to be competent and confident if someone should come to you at work. Mm-hmm. With an issue or equally, should you notice someone appears to be struggling or having challenges in their lives, you are equipped with the ability to deal with that situation in a proper manner. And the reason to me, the reason why it's so important, it's twofold. It's so that you feel confident enough to know that you have the skills and the knowledge to deal mm-hmm. with people who are presenting with a mental health issue. And it's also really important to recognize you don't have to have all the answers. You just need to be there in that moment, like a first aider in mm-hmm. that moment, and then seek help. Yeah. Seek help. And it's really important because people quite often fear asking what's going on with you. Indeed. Are you all right? I've seen you're a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Yes. Or indeed, if somebody approaches them, they're like, whoa, this conversation's way out of my league. So if we create that culture within the workplace mm-hmm. and give people the skill set and the knowledge to be able to confidently deal with it, it means you're confident in your approach and I'm confident approaching you, knowing that you know what that to do. You know what I to do. Makes such a difference. It's a big difference. And by the way, um, this is definitely a theme uh, for my day today. I actually interviewed somebody on the show. Her name is Leah. And I'm going to make a connection. I wrote a note that I needed to introduce you and Leah. Number one, because 
we were just speaking about how there are so many areas in life that individuals maybe, and she mainly deals with individuals going through trauma, but we were saying how, you know, you go get your haircut, you're speaking to somebody, there's so much there. People need to be trained how to be able to, um, like you said, sort of triage a a situation. Uh, yeah. A mental, you know, someone who is who is a service provider, a massage therapist may not be interested in being a therapist, a counselor or a coach, but they can help to triage and help to support yeah. someone and put them on the right path. So, um, yeah. so and many incredible believe, things. Yeah, yeah, I truly believe that in itself will make such a difference. Absolutely. Um, and like, you know yourself to call it the hairdresser's chair because that's where a lot of stuff come out. You can imagine yes. these poor hairdressers or beauty therapists, what they're hearing or seeing or noticing mm-hmm. and maybe feel that they don't want to. And the thing about being a mental health force aider as well, you're able to put something somewhere like a badge mm-hmm. or something on the window to say that you're, you're, um, an accredited mental health first aider. So people then, it gives that confidence. And again, you don't have to have all the answers. You just need to know where to signpost people to. That's the point. I just truly believe, do you know when you get a call in or something just clicks? This is my thing. I truly believe um, we nearly should all have mental health first aid or at least a good portion of us, really. Absolutely. I think that, you know, just like people should know CPR, we live yes. in a world in which we're encountering so many different things that mm-hmm. it's important to be able to, if someone says to us um, a comment that we, it, and by the way, it's difficult to know what the right thing is to say to somebody. Yeah. Someone says, I'm struggling with, or I have thoughts of, or whatever it might yeah. be. And, mm-hmm. and then we feel terrible because we're like, well, what could I have done? What could I have said? Or and we second guess ourselves. And this oh, is why I think your work is incredibly important and yeah. so needed. Um, but again, it stems from what you saw that was a need and then you yeah. decided to pursue and support individuals. Yeah. So this is my favorite kind of story, Emma. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is exactly how it happened. And I, I quite often tell the story about um, when I was obviously managing services, there was one lady that particularly struck it with me and she was sitting in front of me and it had been going for about two years. So she was working, she had a lovely job, a husband, a family, independent in her car, okay. all of that stuff. And somebody very close to her died and it really impacted her and nobody really picked it up and everybody thought right she's depressed or labeling mm-hmm. her with different things and then she done what you're told to do you go to your gp your gp assigns you to the community mental health team they'll assign you a key worker the key worker will assess you you probably end up in front of me two years two years it took before that lady was sitting in front of me and she was telling me all the things and i was like you're grieving yeah. you're supposed to feel these feelings it's grief Mm-hmm. You need support in your grief. But in those two years, she'd lost her job and her marriage. Like everything wow. had crumbled around her. And it was, again, another one of those moments where I thought it didn't need to be this way. If somebody at work had to pick it up and said, mm-hmm. you need to go to counselling. Yeah. You know, I think you need to go to counselling or anybody at all. And um, I, I believe, well, obviously you can't tell the future or how different mm-hmm. it was going to be, but I, right. I, I'm I, of the opinion that perhaps her life would not have went the way it went. had I, someone I, That life could have changed. And I think that yeah. when we start to add up how different things can show up when we are having yeah. um, the right support and tools to help us mm-hmm. in our life, you know, for yeah. instance, 
it's like I, I equate mental health and well-being many times to wearing glasses. I have resisted the idea of wearing <laughs> glasses, but the the older I get, the more that I really need glasses to see. And when I put them on, it's like, oh, this is so life-changing. Look at me. Look at what I can yes. see. I don't have to struggle. It's so clear and crisp and I can order from a menu or I don't have to ask my husband to look for something or I I won't make a mistake in reading something. And I think that this is, you know, there's no stigma in getting the tools that help us perform better, do better, be better and all of these things and feel better is most important. Yeah, Yeah, you're a hundred percent on the right track. And just because you can't see it, people think mm-hmm. of it's not visible. But I mean, mm-hmm. we are the essence of our inside and our thoughts. So mm-hmm. it's surely it's so important to look Absolutely. after it. Um, but it, it's um again, it's another one of those things. The more we talk about it, the more we've got conversations around mm-hmm. it. I think that helps. Right. And 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 overall, as a global community, that we have been definitely impacted by the effects of having gone through a pandemic, the uncertainty, and it's been three years, but at the same time, it doesn't mean that it's not something that we don't um, deal with or have continued to carry with us because we never really process some of that. Well, we're all different people now. Like it's it's changed us all. Like nothing's the same. It can't possibly be. And I think um, we'd be terribly naive if a a lot of people probably have a slight um post-traumatic stress from it because mm-hmm. like if you think about what they talk about we need for our well-being you know yeah. like freedom you know choices being able to go outside mm-hmm. connect with other people yeah. they're all things that are very well documented that we need to maintain our well-being mm-hmm. they were all gone yeah and we're, we didn't plan on them being gone it happened from the first from mm-hmm. one day to the next yeah and you know I suppose the worrying thing is now and I I would have always said it's going to take three years before we start to see the impact that it's had but the impact we see for generations because even the younger ones now Mm -hmm. that are presenting with anxiety because there's certain stages of your life you know this and when you're growing (laughs) up and you're learning new things so whether it's social skills or the education system or whatever it was there are chunks of our young people that missed out on big um, yes. milestones in their yeah. lives throughout them years so we just have to again it's about maintaining your well-being it's about not shying away from the conversation and learning how to to support people yeah support people is exactly what I feel so strongly about and this is why I love the work that you're doing I love the work that Leah is doing and so many other incredible women and cool <laughs> dudes that I get to meet that actually have uh these purposely purpose-driven lives. Um, I am hosting the Purposeful You Summit this weekend. And I have over 40 to 50 speakers who are talking about how they found their purpose. And you've shared a little bit of your journey, but I would um, love for you to talk about how, because this is something that people struggle with. And perhaps maybe there's someone listening to us here or tuning into Facebook, um, but that they they had something in their past. And, and I'd like to say that our past doesn't define us. And there is a silver lining in everything that we go through. 
Can you speak a little bit to that? But I'm also going to say goodbye to Facebook because I want them to tune in (laughs) to the actual episode. And then we're also going to talk about uh, TEDx because I'm selfishly going to bring that conversation up and talk more and tell TEDx. (laughs) But yeah, tell me a little bit more. What are your thoughts on that? So um, I do believe what happens in our early years definitely has an impact on who we are and as you get older you learn to unpack some of that and come into your own but I have it's only been maybe my late 30s early 40s that I have really began to realize that and you know where you get your thoughts where you get your habits behaviors (laughs) opinions you got to work out what's yours and what's not. And I think that only kind of comes, unless you're really good, it only comes with a bit of emotional intelligence and unpacking later on. But again, I suppose significant events in my life were probably um, one of my very early years. Um, I had hearing difficulties. I would have been hospitalized a lot with my ears left on my own. And I didn't realize maybe that might have been a thing until again later on. But one of the biggest things, I suppose, was um, becoming pregnant quite young. Mm. which was a big no um it definitely it was not well received and um learning a lot about myself then about resilience grit understanding how everything can change you know and just because you think this is the way something's going to be really being able to bend with the changes and flows and life's challenges and how cruel people can be but also how beautiful people can be. So I learned both ends of it. And that really helped shape my understanding of just being kind, kindness. Mm. I mean, and that really came from that. I can't, and genuinely, and people do ask this, my journey into working through mental health genuinely was on that placement when I walked in through that door and realized I knew people. It was in that moment I can remember that. But I can also remember people being terribly cruel to me when I was 17 and having a baby. And you'd be thinking, why would anybody treat a young girl that obviously, mm-hmm. you know, you know, or even what business is it of yours? And so right. I would have done a lot of thinking around um, that. And um, it definitely had shaped me. But for the better, because then mm-hmm. I believe, and I'm not, you know, I believe my daughter saved me in terms of my character now. I'd imagine I'm probably a better human being <laughs> for having been gone through that there <laughs> because, you know, it's supposed to ground you. And I mean, she's amazing now. She's a doctor herself, a doctor of psychology. I mean, I love that. How mm-hmm. amazing is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh. honestly. So when you think about it, you know, whereas a lot of people would have wrote us off. I was like, no, this isn't happening. And she's come into her own. She's a woman herself. She has her own life, her own career, everything going for her. So, I mean, I suppose it just changed my thinking. It was a harsh reality very early on. And mm-hmm. then um, we were then um, faced again with more hardship when her dad was killed in a motorbike whenever mm-hmm. she was five. Over in America. So that was another thing then that we had to face, although um, she was probably too young then. So it didn't really Mm -hmm. impact her till she was a wee bit older. Again, that just showed how life can change. Everything changes. So really accept and embrace the good times when they're here, but also build the resilience, the well-being. Always be working on yourself because when the challenges come, you need to have reserves. Yeah. Yeah. People and people. The right people around you is so important. The right resources, the right people. I think Mm -hmm. that, you know, this is one of the reasons that I love 
um, being able to connect with others because I know that I will meet someone like you or like Leah or uh, Jane that eventually uh, your paths are going to have to intersect to be able to then uh, maybe help each other or help uh, the people that are in your lives. And we live in such a world that that this is such a blessing that we're able to connect. I whole heart connection is key, but being intentional on who you surround yourself with as well, because it can Mm -hmm. work both ways. It can, you know, enhance your well-being, but you know, the wrong people then can also do or bring negativity. So we Mm -hmm. have, you have to be really careful, but again, they're only life lessons learned yeah. to be honest with you and, and understanding that everybody's on their own journey and you have to meet them where they're at. But what that does for me is that reminds me to look after my well-being, to choose my circles, to set boundaries as well, mm-hmm. because I was terrible at that. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I was terrible at that. And this is something that I've learned because it's of the benefit of everybody that, oh. that you set your own boundaries. Boundaries is not something that we're taught right away. And I think that this is where where a lot of our issues um, that we end up struggling with come from from time to time, because we don't really know how to create these very precious and much needed boundaries. Um, Speaking of boundaries, and I know that we said we're going to talk about TEDx, but you have a book uh, called (laughs) The Blue Line. Tell me a little bit more about that. So. Thank you for asking about that. So I wrote a book, The Blue Line. I wrote it, I'm going to say, I started it maybe five years ago. And The Blue Line is about a journey of IVF. Mm -hmm. Um, It is my own personal journey that I went through. However, it's written in, um, like, Fiction. The characters in it aren't me. It's a fictionalized part of your story. Uh, Yeah. But the actual journey and yeah. everything that happens in it is 100% my journey. Mm-hmm. The people are all completely made up in my head. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I had fun with that. Um, <laughs> but I wrote my journey. So, you know, three cycles, two failed, one um, that, you know, was successful. It's all like everything from start to finish, finding out that we couldn't have a baby, how, what we were going to do about it, the waiting mm. list, going private, all that there. And again, and this comes back to me seeing a need and trying to fill it. Nobody was talking about IVF. The people that we were sitting with in the rooms, we didn't even speak to each other. Nobody was talking about it. Mm-hmm. And it was very, um, it was very, I found it. People, everybody's different. I found it quite a hard journey, quite a lonesome journey, and nobody was talking about it. And yeah. I could buy books on it, but the books were all medical. It was all the medicalized. Mm-hmm. Um, of IVF and, and what you kind of go through that way. Whereas I wrote the book, The Blue Line, and it's about the emotional roller coaster and understanding really what it is yeah. and, and how it can impact on you and your family and all of that there. And I talk very honestly about mm-hmm. the injections and the different the different processes and all of that. But it was my sister for my 40th birthday said to me, I'm giving away my age now. She said, you've got to write a book. You've got to write a book. Yeah. You need to do it. And that's how um, The Blue Line came about. And then indeed, after writing the book, The Blue Line, which is such a prevalent mm-hmm. issue for people, because when I tell you, Julie, the rooms were full, the rooms were full every time I went to an appointment of different people, every time. Yeah. So full rooms every time of different people. And nobody was talking about this. Nobody's talking about IVF. Mm-hmm. And there were young couples 
older yeah. couples, you know, it, it just it was everybody. And I remember thinking, what is going on? What is going mm-hmm. on? And I remember asking mum when I eventually did tell people that I'd been through IVF because I didn't tell anybody or we didn't tell anybody. I remember saying to mum, why is nobody talking about this? And mum says, but you've got to remember, IVF only came about in 1978. So, yeah. I mean, it's like the first IVF baby was Louise Brown, and she was born in July 1978 in the UK. Mm-hmm. Like, so it's re- like it's only 45 yeah. years kind of going, and that's why maybe nobody was talking about it. So from I wrote the book, The Blue Line, that's how then I was approached to do a TED talk. So a TED talk, my first, yeah. My first TED talk is on IVF, and that's why because I wrote a book. <laughs> yes, and 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 uh, your your TED talk is what's love got to do with it? Correct. Yes. Yes. Which, by the way, I love that title. Um, I'm a big Tina Turner fan. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and the idea is like there's. N- there's nothing very romantic about going through IVF. Let me tell you, it's very clinical. Yeah. It's very, it's you near know, like your body is a vessel and um, it is to carry this baby. However, love has everything to do with it. Of course, love has everything to do with it. But when you're yeah. going through the process, it's very, yeah. very black and white and very it, clinical. And sterile, correct. And uh, <laughs> so I have to tell you that, you know, my husband and I, when we got married, I was 42 and he was turning forty. 42 later on um, as well. And we had been married before. I never thought I really wanted children. We decided that, you know, I I, I could see that we could have children and we struggle yeah. with infertility, but it was very difficult to find other than the experts, the doctors that were very clinical and it was very difficult to be able to get any type of information. And yeah. I know that there are support groups out there, but there, it was just a very lonely journey. And, and it is. It, and it was something that I'm so happy that there's this type of resource that you are sharing and spreading uh, the knowledge and idea of what um, was that journey like for you through the book and also through your TED Talk so that others, I feel, won't be in that spot where they think they are the only ones. Yeah. Going and it, through it, this. it is lonely because... It's so personal. It's mm-hmm. so personal to you because yeah. everybody goes through it different. I mean, everybody is a different experience. Yeah. And I remember when I wrote the book, it was actually one of my neighbors here where I live. Her sister, I think, had went through mm-hmm. IVF and she came down and knocked my door and she said, I never even considered everything that you've wrote in that book about the emotions, about mm-hmm. like my clothes didn't fit. I couldn't wear jeans because my tummy was sore. So I even looked different. You know, I was dressing different. I yeah. wasn't myself. I was avoiding going out and having alcohol. I, ha- I was rushing home and not stopping right. for a cup of tea because I knew I had to inject myself at a certain time. And when I put all that in the book, she was like, I now realize you know, people just think, oh, it's a couple of injections and then you go and yeah. like it's yeah. it takes over your whole life. You're thinking right. and it changes your relationship with your partner. It it mm-hmm. it really brings in a whole different dimension that a lot yes. of people don't really understand. Um yeah. so definitely an idea worth spreading. So let's talk about <laughs> ideas worth spreading. I have one I that I, I, I am excited to be able to share. And I have to have my script over to the organizers by the first. Uh, And I was told this a week ago. (laughs) But you probably have it um, in your head because 
writing a TED talk is a complete process. It's mm-hmm. a life changer. It's a process. Yes. And you do, you know, and then you have to start. So you have to have it over by the end of next week. Yes. By the end, by the, hold on. Let's see. The 31st yeah. is next Thursday. So in true fashion, uh, you know, I am, and I, I, I generally know that, you know, I have my little hook idea that yeah. I know what I'm talking about. I, I wrote about it in the application. So Beautiful. I, my, and I don't have a catchy um, title yet for the talk and hopefully I can oh bring God. this up. But again, I want my audience to care about the topic of confidence inclusion and how even though at times we have the opportunity to be included to be invited in it still takes confidence for you to be able to step up and dance in the in the party of inclusion and i want to talk about how um habits can also build your confidence so it's a lot it's a lot i'm talking about i know i probably have to distill this i have personal (laughs) stories from myself um that I'm sharing and I ha- and I was told I need eight minutes. Can I do it? Do you think? <laughs> <laughs> you, you can, of course. Um whenever I wrote my first TED talk, I mm-hmm. cut it in half. <laughs> there you <laughs> because go. Because it was too long. So and that is why you need to submit your first one because you need yeah. to work out how long it's going to be and have you got all the points that you want yes. in it that are going to make it um and it needs to be um, I suppose associated to the theme as well so there's a whole load of different <laughs> elements there's a lot to this however it's beautiful when you get it done and I suppose your talk will change as well because I yeah. remember when I done mine and I I learned mine back to front I knew it off by heart I just didn't flow with it I had it well rehearsed um but it changed every time mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you've got to go with the flow of, as well as having have it handed in. And you just that's I, that's the way whenever I organized that X, I asked everybody mm-hmm. to submit a copy as well. Um, but allow for on the day. Yeah, the, the I'm very good it. with going with the flow. I think that that's yeah. one of my strengths. Yeah. One yeah. of my weaknesses is like, oh, that deadline. Do you mean like end <laughs> of day on the first or? Like midnight on the first? What do you mean, right? And is it Eastern time or can it be Pacific time, right? So anyhow, I, I will get yeah. it done. I, I have an incredible group of um, individuals in my mastermind that I am a part of. And they actually, um, we're meeting this Thursday and that's what we're doing. I am getting to practice in front of them. So I need to put that together before Thursday. Yeah, you do. You <laughs> so actually, it gives well, me a week. At least before. the bones of it. Yeah. yeah because I went through that, in my brain, by the way. Yeah. I went through in it. my brain and I started to tell my little story and then I was timing myself. And then I went, I'm like, oh, the story itself is eight minutes. I can't do that. Okay. Wait a minute. I need to cut this. So that's yeah. what I'm in the process of. Um, and that's I, hard that's yeah. the hard part of cutting it yeah. down so long as it works out under 18 on the day but mm-hmm. um ted would very much tell you it's about rehearsing so the more mm-hmm. people that you can get in yeah. front of and deliver your talk to the better oh so i am going to go on social media and tell people i need to practice and they need to bring yes. me in and practice yes. practice practice Thank you. And for your, that. your idea worth spreading is beautiful in terms of it's all right being asked to the table, but mm-hmm. you need to have the courage or the confidence to contribute. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. I I, be- I, I am a firm believer of that. And I've experienced yeah. it in my own life. And I think that 
I saw that so many times with the women mm-hmm. that I worked when I was in corporate America. They were yeah. invited and given a given a seat at the table, but they didn't have the courage to actually sit at the table. Yeah. And, yeah. and then, the doors happen. And it's not only that they miss out on being a part of the conversation or a part of the process, but the people that could be impacted because they don't get to hear them or experience yeah. what they have to share is yeah. is really what happens. So I want to encourage others to be able Beautiful. to come to the I table. I look forward to hearing that. Yeah. yeah I, I, thank <laughs> you. Thank you. And I am, um, you know, it's been such an honor to be able to do that. And my husband said to me the other day, he's like, okay, so then when we're done, that'll be great. I said, done. Once I deliver that one, I want to do it again. (laughs) (laughs) There is something special. I have, you know, there is just something amazing about TED Talks. And I know when you come off that red dot, all the hard work and energy, it's just so worth it. Like it's the feeling like passing your driving test. It's that exhilarating. Oh, You're back at that love it. at that feeling again. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love good feelings. What is the yeah. difference between for you now you're a TEDx organizer? What is the difference? What what type of things you had to kind of learn as an organizer as opposed to um a speaker? Well, I think people definitely do not realize um, how much goes on in the background. I mean, once I put out that I had the TED license and that we were going to run TEDx in a skilling, I mean, I was completely inundated because it goes up on the TED website as well as then obviously across your socials. So the whole process of um, so having the license, it's a very um thorough process to get mm-hmm. the license and I mean Ted are very rigorous there's a lot of hoops to jump through there's a lot to make sure that you're the right fit and really understand the mm-hmm. essence of Ted so you have to be aligned with the essence of Ted's message being that their idea is worth spreading in the world mm-hmm. it's not about you it's not about what you do it's about spreading out into the world your ideas whether they're controversial or not and mm-hmm. um, so the amount of work that goes in beforehand and then it's definitely one of the times where I had to learn to say no to a lot of people because a lot of people approach it. And sometimes I think because they're in your circles that maybe they'll <laughs> get it. There is a process. Um, and then I built a team around it. So it wasn't just me. I had a right. team of really good people that came around. Amazing. And then also bringing, it was collective effort. It was amazing for the community. It was lovely to see the community getting involved. But it's so much more than just organizing a day and everybody turns up. I mean, you have to, again, get everybody to submit their talks, sit in rehearsals to hear their talks, allocate people within your team to make sure the guidance of TED is quite strict. I'm not going to lie. And we really, really made sure that we adhered to that because quite often TED might hold a talk back if they feel it's not along their guidelines. So, you know, it was our responsibility to make sure that all the speakers right. understood this, but also, and then on the day, sometimes people say a thing maybe that they weren't expected to, and you know, so there's so much more to it than organize mm-hmm. an event on that day. And choosing your theme is really important. Choosing the theme and then the speakers that are aligned with your theme is something I love that because then. Mm-hmm. The alignment was important. Um, yes. So when people submitted, you know, you had to kind of, and I, whenever people talk about doing TED Talks, I say it's very important to find out what the theme is and why 
the yes. curator or the team chose that theme because when all these applications are coming in, that's what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. I, I applied to t- three TEDx talks and I made it to the second round, a, a finalist for the three, and then I was awarded the one that I got. But Beautiful. the one here in my hometown, and I, I think I shared this with you, I applied last year, did not they send an email, say, thank you. No, thank you. And I stopped <laughs> applying anywhere else. And then I thought, no, Julie, you know, you talked about this is something you want to do. So you need to start applying. So I did. Um, yeah. And then I got a call saying I was a finalist and I was going to mm-hmm. go through the next step. Um, and I spoke to them and I loved, I had a great conversation. And by the way, two of my good friends here in Hartford are good friends with the organizers. And I thought, oh my God, that's kind of good. And but guess what? My talk was not aligned with the theme. Yeah. And it, and they yeah. said, you know, it's one. You're wonderful. We love you. You think you you're a great speaker, but this is what we're talking about, and that's not what you're talking yeah. about. And I thought, and that's oh, why that was so, so simple. <laughs> like, but people don't realize, yeah. and that's why it's so important because <laughs> there comes that many applications your yeah. way, and they're genuinely does. They come from <laughs> all over the world. Yeah. Like I mean, in TEDx and skin, I had people from over the world talking because they were so aligned. Yeah. My theme was be the change. They were mm. so aligned with it, you know. So um yeah. it's really important. That's definitely a top tip because if you're sitting with 70 applications with maybe 10 spaces, mm-hmm. it's really going to come down with with alignment and what your message, what your idea worth spreading is. Mm. I heard somewhere, and I don't know if this is accurate, but I, I think I've heard it more than once, that typically it takes people anywhere from 50 to 60 applications to actually be awarded a TED Talk. Do you oh, think wow. that, that number is that high? Well, I, I'm going to say geographics is going to have a lot to play in that yeah. because obviously Ireland's a lot smaller, so that mm-hmm. that may True. not apply here. But certainly across America, I'd imagine with the amount of people that are there, that I wouldn't that would not surprise me. Yeah, <laughs> amazing. Well, you know, it's it's a wonderful experience, and I am incredibly yeah. honored. And yeah. you have been an inspiration. I've watched your TED talks a couple different times because I'm like, oh my goodness, I need to learn. <laughs> And I, I, you know, that's my, my nightly, uh, my nightly, maybe I should be writing the talk rather than watching them. <laughs> that might help, you know, but um, I would be like you, I always watch TED Talks, you know, yeah. and, you know, whenever we're talking about um, your well-being, looking after your well-being, you know, you talk about learning, <laughs> but I very much see TED Talks as part of my learning and well-being yeah, because you're too. getting ideas and different points of view and then you're challenging your own thinking around things yes. it's they are like they're an amazing resource in in life yeah do you have a favorite ted talk <laughs> <laughs> that's too hard a question to ask yes. <laughs> that i ran um, a tedx event but there was you know there's a couple of different um you know i it, it's really obvious it's the like of brenny brown and you know mm-hmm. it's all yeah. those obvious people yeah. but i mean 
like my sister Karen also done a TED talk and she done one on joy and Ooh. I remember thinking what and her talk is on joy and in terms of being successful like she's a, an entrepreneur she's a businesswoman okay. herself and she talks about needing to bring joy into manifesting what you want in life mm. and action and different things and it just took me in a hold and I am biased because she's my sister and it's a beautiful short and snappy TED talk oh I and love it not a lot of people are talking about joy Oh, I totally agree. Not a lot of people talk about joy. And it's yes. one of these gifts that it is free for us to leverage. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So she talked. It was a lovely talk. She talked about that a bit of talk. Right, so. I'm going to have to check mm-hmm. it out. What is your sister's name, Emma? Karen. Karen McDermott. Check okay. Out. I love it. I'm going to, we're going to add it to the show notes as well <laughs> so that yeah. people can check it out. Yeah. Um, but this is, I mean, so amazing that you're doing all this type of work. You are definitely changing the face of how mental health is being yeah. treated in the workplace, which is an incredible thing. If someone is listening to us and they want to maybe get support from you to get their staff or their, their workplace uh, ready to triage mental health, how do they connect with you? The easiest way probably to understand what we're offering and why we <laughs> offer it, because yes. I have a team, obviously, is to go onto the website and it's www.mentalwealthinternational.com. <laughs> um, and that shows all the things and I suppose testimonies and that from other people, but also on Instagram, I have a Mental Wealth International page where I do like short two minute video snippets just talking about <laughs> all different areas of well-being and mindset and just to give people some resources. Yep. some free yep. resources as well on, on what we're trying to what we're trying to achieve and again Julie it's like it's having conversations like this that are allowing other people to um understand where we're coming from but also you know think about what we're talking about change their thinking around um mental health I call it mental wealth because I think we all need to be striving to be yeah. mentally wealthy but then it also allows them to kind of I suppose resonate with what we're saying and be relatable yeah talking about mental health absolutely and you know if you don't have your health you cannot have wealth because if you have no. wealth without health then you're up the no. creek so make sure it doesn't work (laughs) it doesn't work and and again well-being is incredibly important we can have so many different things but that's the one core thing that we need the most to kind of build a foundation for our lives um it has been a joy to have you here emma um i've absolutely loved it thank you You're an incredible person. You're doing some amazing work. I wrote down a couple of different people that I'm going to introduce you to because I think that you guys will have a lot of synergy together. Thank you so much. And will you come back? (laughs) That's a definite yes from me. Thank you very much. Well, (laughs) incredible. Well, we will continue to be in each other's universe. You're doing some incredible work. I need to go to Ireland again. (laughs) You do. Um, it's um, been a while last time I was there let, let's see it was two oh it was a long time ago wait a minute yes it's been a long time we went there um I, I think I shared this with you we went 2011 Ooh. yeah that's oh, that's 12 years oh. you need to come back you need to come to one of our retreats remember I was telling you oh, that's right. we talked about the retreat. retreat 
in the castle. Yay. We must talk about this. So I love retreats. I think that they're an incredible part of um, well-being for individuals, for entrepreneurs. And that's a great place to also connect and create the relationships that fill your heart and allow you to go forward. So thank you so much for reminding me. And don't forget, everybody, if you want to connect with um, Emma, we are going to have all her information, but her website, like we said, is mentalwealthinternational.com. And again, we have the information here in the show notes. And if you find Emma, make sure that you let her know on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Mental Wealth International that you found her through Casa de Confidence and the Confident You Radio Network. So I appreciate you being here, everyone. And until next time, don't forget, go confidently in the direction of your dreams. Wow, lovely. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Casa de Confidence. We thank you for listening. And if you want more, go to casadeconfidencepod.com. Check Julie out on her socials as Julie DeLuca Collins. And you can also check out her website at goconfidentlycoaching.com. Have a great week and don't forget, go confidently in the direction of your dreams. Hi, everybody. I know that sometimes we get very lonely in this entrepreneur journey, and I want to invite you to join us into our limited time only purposeful you mastermind. For many of us entrepreneurs, we believe that we can do it all. But the reality is that doing it alone only creates a lot of overwhelm. So join us at the purposeful you mastermind. You can find out more information by going to bit.ly forward slash Julie's mastermind. This is going to be the place where you are able to then unlock your full potential and achieve long-term success for your business, push you behind your current limits, expand your connections, discover new ideas, and implement them with confidence. You're going to get the support in all aspects and transforming you to the six-figure business you've been looking for. Pause and get off the hamster wheel if you've been spinning around. This is a time where you can get that support from like-minded entrepreneurs that are here to join you in your journey. Together, we can challenge the assumptions and land the speaking engagements and opportunities we want to grow our business and make an impact in the lives of people. See you then. Remember, you can find the mastermind at bit.ly. Julie's Mastermind.